As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... The strip teaser and the Saturday night hooker, Big Jed, on the heels of a busy weekend. How are you, my friend? Both of those sound like they will sure enough take your money, Luke. I am well. I hope you are. Uh, just a long, long week uh, of racing there at Bristol. Um, you know, as you as you know, promoting an event is very tiresome, and uh, it, it just wears on you mentally and physically. So I'm still catching up, but. Couldn't think of anything better to catch up from. It was a it was a really cool week. You were at the big go. We're going to be talking about that amazing event. I think I heard 963 entries or whatever the number was. So it's been an awesome week, man. Uh, and I hope you are doing well as well. I'm surprised you realize I was at the big go. Most people don't. I spent 48 hours <laughs> on the grounds of a week-long event. <laughs> Wasn't there long. <laughs> But to get to your point, we have something for everybody on this week's show. We've got the big go for the NHRA fans. We've got the Labor Day 250K for the footbreak audience. We've got the 40 Grand Nationals from Norwalk. We've got NHRA news. We've got IHRA news and much, much more. But first, PJ North. Big Jed, it is post Labor Day. We were off for a week. I feel like we've got a lot to catch up on. Big events all across the country. We had the Big Go, which included the Jags All Stars. We had 40 Grand Nationals at Norwalk and more. 
And I don't want to be biased. Like if you said this, I guess it could come off as biased. So I'm going to say this, Jed. I don't want to start with any of that because I firmly believe that the two biggest stories of the weekend, the holiday weekend, come from a little, well, not so little event that you and Steve Stites put on in Bristol, the Labor Day 250K. Yeah, Luke, um, you know, really, really good event, uh, really good weather. We got a little bit of rain on Sunday, but it wasn't bad. Didn't hold us up much. Well, I think we finished by seven Sunday evening. And um, it was it was a, a wonderful event full of great racing. But there were some pretty cool stories there for sure. Um uh, to just to get us kicked off on Thursday, which wasn't part of the cool story, but get us kicked off on Thursday. We had a 5,000 to win gamblers race where Gage Birch got the win over Lucas Walker. Um, you know, stop me if you've heard those guys in the final before, but I saw the semifinalists. I didn't recognize any of the names. Yeah, it was a, it was a star studded field for sure. Um, and those guys uh, came out on top and Gage got the win over Lucas, 241 entries in that gambler's race. So that kicked us off really nicely. And then Friday was arguably one of the, the best um, storybook finishes that, that I've ever seen, much less that we've ever had at one of our events. So we all remember the story of Lucas McKinney, uh, the young man that was from that area of the country and uh and had a racing accident at farmington and passed in a in a in a shutdown area incident um lucas was uh, a well-known racer young guy hard charger that had a, a huge influence on a lot of people well, his father is todd mckinney todd is the the gentleman that we um put in Lucas's truck and made a run in honor of Lucas at the World Footbreak Challenge in July. Um, very emotional ceremony. The whole thing was very emotional. And Todd um, blasted off the left lane in Lucas's truck. And it was just a great tribute to a, to a great young man, a uh, young man that lived for those footbreak races on the mountain. And uh, Todd made his way back to the Labor Day 250K and took his AMC Spirit all the way to the winner's circle, Luke. And I know you know this on Friday, um, just to, as the rounds were clicking off, the, the amount of attention that was getting at the facility, much less online, was incredible. Uh, people were coming around the starting line and just is like, can this happen? And when it finally made it to the final round, which was really cool, uh, he was facing Scooter Hamlin, and Scooter is a talented, talented dude out of Texas with a bad hot rod. And Scooter had been making some pretty good runs all day. So, you know, I obviously didn't know how it was going to fall, but I knew Todd had his hands full. And his wind light came on, and it was – just absolute uh, emotion from that point on. Uh, him, his family, his friends, his supporters. It was incredible. Um, it, it truly was uh, probably the most emotional um, winter circle celebration that, that I've ever been a part of it. Not probably, it was absolutely the most. And 
the interview with Todd was just incredible. It was a it was a wonderful moment that I'll never forget, and one that I'm sure he'll never forget. So uh, it was just it was really a wonderful moment uh, for for not only Todd but just for people to remember Lucas and as much as he discussed Lucas and and what Lucas meant to to all of those people that were around there. I, I don't know if you got to see the Winter Circle celebration, Luke, but it, it was unbelievable. I don't think he got three words in before there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Like, and just, I caught probably the last three or four rounds on live feed. And it was a couple rounds before I realized who he was and what was going on, you know, honestly, before I started putting it all together. And, and it just, I know it's easy to say in, in, in retrospect, and I know anytime anybody wins, like things just fall into place, but it was hard to watch that and not feel like that conclusion was like preordained. Like it just seemed like that's the way that, that they had to end. It did seem that way. I actually, you know, I gave Scooter a hug and, and because Scooter, Scooter's a great racer. You know, he came all the way from Texas and uh, he wanted that win bad, but he said that's the, the best loss he's ever had. And I, you know, I gave him a hug and I said, sometimes Scooter, you're just in the way of the story. And, and that's where you were today, but you were in the, you were in the best spot possible to, to be uh, in the story. So he understood that and he was a very humble and, and gracious runner up. Um, Todd obviously had his moment there in the winter circle that he deserved. And I, you know, I don't know, Luke, if, 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 if you'd given me, and I don't, this is going to sound terrible, but if you'd given me a hundred picks of who was going to win Friday's race, I don't know that I ever get to Todd just because, you know, it's not something Todd travels all over the place doing. And, you know, he just runs around the house there, runs at Bristol and he's a talented guy. He's a good racer, got good equipment, but just not sure I ever would have got to him. So to yeah, see I mean, him, which is understandable. I mean, you're at a race with the Gage Birches and Lucas Walkers and Charlie Lockhart's and Nick Hastings of the world. You know, I mean, at times 40, you know, I mean, there's a lot sure. of those guys, right? Yeah. And, and Todd's had a few birthdays, you know, he's not a young man. So it was, it was very refreshing to see somebody in his position, age and experience make a final round and then to go win it. And then you add all of the, the outside emotional factors in there. It was, it was a super cool moment and uh, you know, 312 entries and he comes out on top. What a great story. And, and just as soon as his win light come on, you know, Steve said, I imagine there's going to be a, you know, a few tears in this interview. And I said, yeah, I bet Todd will have some too. So uh, it was just an emotional time for, for me and, and him and everybody involved. So really cool moment that was good for a lot of hearts there. And uh, even Scooter again coming up short was was uh, understanding and gracious of that moment. Uh, although it was uh, was somewhat difficult, we did move ahead with uh, with our Friday Gamblers race to, to get that winner. And that was Devin Dudley over Brian Cerruti. We had a 206-entry Gamblers race. Deadly. Along Devin. Deadly Devin Dudley. Um, that was uh, that was cool to see Devin because Devin had 
basically given up for the day. He was having some kind of electrical challenge, fuel pump starter. This car was fighting him. He missed one of his entries, I think, in the, in the first round. And I helped him push it in the trailer while round one was running. And they loaded in a trailer near the staging lanes and took it back to their pit and tried one more thing and got it. Devin comes back out and competed well in the 10K, then wins the 5K over Brian Cerruti. That was, again, 206 entries. So that was a cool story in itself because Devin was basically over it and done and, and was ready to, to load his stuff up and for them to get that fixed and, and come back out. Uh, really cool to see. And he's a, he's a humble champion as well. So that was a, it was really kind of a perfect day there on Friday, Luke, uh, to get our weekend started. Yeah, I think it's an inevitable looking back, Todd McKinney, in, in that moment, that is the story. If there is a, a, a close second, it is the, you've got the, the emotional uh, high point of probably the season, right? Followed up by, let's call it what it is, like the apex mountain for, I don't think it's arguable anymore, right? The best footbreak racer to ever do it gets his pinnacle moment, right? I, on the biggest stage, the biggest person footbreak racing, Nick Hastings takes home everything on Saturday. Yeah, Luke, uh, you know, Nick had raced well, obviously, on uh, on Thursday and Friday. Um, but Saturday, just, it's kind of a day built for for him, you know, is there's, there's tension, there's nerves, there's a huge payday. There's obviously a, a significant investment on the racers part that they're not accustomed to, you know, they know they've spent a little more money than they usually do. So all of that wrapped up, just, you never really know what it does to a racer, but to Nick, it was just another day at the track. Um, he asked me a couple of questions along the way as it got deep. You could just tell he was he was thinking, you know, he's just thinking of every little scenario and possibility. And um, when everything shook out and all the, the money talk had happened and everything else, you know, he just out there making great run after great run after great run. And he uh, he got the, the hundred thousand dollar check and the win. And he got that over Anthony Blackburn. And I, I don't know how much everyone knows about Anthony Blackburn, but this guy's been doing it for multiple decades. He is a bad, bad dude. He's a true legend in the sport. And Anthony just quietly worked his way along, teen and dead on, hit a double O here and there, car going dead on. When he did get a little breakout, it was a double breakout and fell his way. So he had a little bit of fortune there and he finds himself in the final. And from the time the money started getting discussed until the final round was over, uh, you know, I, uh, Anthony was actually the first one. We take everybody in the conference room, all drivers, when they're ready to talk, we have a proposed uh, split or we have five or six options for them because it's a lot of money and they'd start getting lost in the, the discussion and talk about money. So we started doing that year one, three years ago, we take them in the conference room, we lay the piece of paper down and we say, you know, guys, look this over and see what you think. And if, you know, somebody, if you guys like one more than the other, let us know. 
Well, Anthony was first one. I handed it to Anthony, and he's like, uh, "Just keep passing it down." He's like, "I don't even, I don't even care what, whatever y'all want to do, whatever everybody agrees on." You know, and and right then I knew, okay, he he couldn't. The money he doesn't care about per se. It's not ruling him. It's about what's on the track, and he showed that and made the final round. So I was very proud of Anthony. He won the first twenty grand foot brake race I was ever at, which was at Huntsville Dragway. And I'd heard, "Hey man, this guy's here from Kentucky with his black shave too. He's bad news." I'm like, "Well, you know, you know what? It's 2003. So am I. You know, I'm like, get his ass." You up said, "Well, he he uh, let me be the first to welcome him to Alabama." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me show him how we foot brake down here. So so pull <laughs> his ass in the lanes, and I'll just run down there. And we'll, we'll just tie up and do this. And uh, and after third round, I was watching, and Anthony just kept on winning and stood in the winner's circle with the with the check and the trophy. So he showed how bad a dude he was, and he's still doing it. But back to Nick, uh, Luke. I, you know, Nick Nick has accomplishments on the racetrack that almost force you to hate him. Just because he's so good, he takes your best effort and beats it nine times out of ten. You 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 rocking along there where 15, 18, 20 is your normal run. You step on at 100 and try to be double O and you come up double O red. Or even if you come up double O eight, he positions himself on a racetrack that makes you question if you had a double O eight. Like that I was I good because I'm not where I should be and he's just incredible end to end and and that's the kind of guy you're supposed to hate I, you can't like a guy that does what he does but he's so humble and so likable and so genuine and so nice everybody was super excited for him as he collected that $100,000 payday and his winter circle interview again in itself was just refreshing and a joy because, you know, we, we talked about how people appreciate his talent and, and they're, they're pulling for him, even though they know he's got the most talent at the track. He's not the guy you got to pull for because it's likely that he's going to come out on top a lot of times, but they're pulling for him. And, and he mentioned in his interview that that's to him, that's, as good as winning anymore that people appreciate you know what he can do on the racetrack and that they they still like him and pull for him and that meant a lot to him and uh, it, that was again back to back friday saturday the interviews were just off the chain wonderful uh, joy to be a part of and and nick could be the humblest champion of all luke i just i don't I don't know anything bad that someone could say about him. I mean, you speak to his his demeanor outside the car, and I agree, like super laid back, very humble, very likable, and quiet. I think you gotta you, you gotta get to know Nick at first, right? But it's hard. He never does anything that would make you not want to like him. But I think what's even more um, what stands out more is the people that don't know him, like just the demeanor in the car, the way that he goes about his business. Like there's not, all, there's not any chicanery coming from Nick Hastings. Like there's no staging battles. There's no staging games. There's no trying to select opponents coming in the staging lanes. Like I think it was last year's great American million. Like he and Dan Fletcher ran like four or five times 
because they're both that hard headed, right? But because they ain't shying down from nobody. And Nick's like, look, I'm running the right lane. I don't care who's up there. There's no, I'm going to dodge this guy, get in line. Like, no, like he just goes up there and races with the, the quiet confidence that like, look, you do whatever you need to do over there. I don't think you can beat me. Not outwardly, you know, not where you can't dislike sure. him, but obviously there is a, uh, a confidence, but the way that he goes about it, like I say, inside the car and out, I, I agree 100%. It's hard not to like him. Now, I do have a question for you, Jed, because I didn't get to see round by round Nick do his thing. You've watched it as much or more than anyone over the years. Where did this rank in the hierarchy of Nick Hastings' performances? Because his bad is better than most, right? His average is unbelievable. And when he's unstoppable, he's unbeatable. Like, was this a day where he couldn't be beat? Or was this more like average Nick, Nick Hastings that actually is probably just, his average is probably as good as anybody's good? Yeah, it was, it was definitely not the most unbelievable performance I've ever seen him have. I think, Luke, that's simply because it was a foot break only race and he was dialed 616, 617. So he chased a fair amount where I've seen his unbelievable talent and performance where he was in front and his strategy doesn't change. You know, if he can go three under, he would still be able to do that against the dragster, the, the 520 door car whatever's in that other lane. So I think there's been some of those performances where he, he went on and finished off the deal when he merged into the top bulb side of things that impressed me a little more, but uh, he was, he was as good as he wanted to be and needed to be all times in Bristol. He, he really had a great teen spot and hit double O plenty of times. And, he lit it up dead on so many times. You know, he, he made a buy run, Luke, and uh, that was Sunday where he runnered up, and we'll talk about that shortly. He made a buy run when he runnered up, and he, he's at six cars. I say a buy run. He's at six cars, and he paired himself on the ladder, unfortunately for him. And he made the, made the run and made a really good run. Well, he come back at three, but he had the buy run. So he made back-to-back -back singles. He earned a buy run with his run at six. And at three, you know, you'd think, okay, you know you're going to the final. No sense in doing anything crazy. Well, he steps on at 100 RPMs. He was 13 in his buy run. He steps on at 100 RPMs. And he lights it up 003 and I think goes dead on the dial in. And I was sitting there with Jake Hodge and I said, you know, that right there is what make he's holding on his buy run and goes down there and makes his run just number one for practice. Number two, let's say the, the winner of the other pair or whatever matches his reaction time. He's going to go down there and go dead on. So his package is eligible to win over an equal reaction time. That's just the kind of stuff he thinks about and what separates him from just normal human foot brake racers. So it just, when you watch him, his, his talent is undeniable, obviously, but uh, his, uh, his ability to think through every situation in some of the most tense moments 
in our sport is, uh, again, I think what separates him from, from just normal racers. And uh, it was really fun to watch. Do you think that that's a, a natural trait or do you think that's a learned skill? I would say it's learned skill for sure. Uh, I would bet uh, when he was younger, I would bet the, you know, the go down there and dial it up six tenths and drop it at half track to try to go dead on all those fun things you do on your buy runs. Probably, probably what he did, you know, as a younger guy, but just as he's aged and he's not old, but as he's aged and matured, you can just see he is so laser focused on the task at hand and he'll, he'll cut up with you and have a good time anywhere but the staging lanes you know when he's in the staging lanes he's serious you can tell he's getting his hot rod ready and doing those things and then when he gets on the track obviously his his talent is second to none so i think it's all a learned experience type thing that, that he's progressed with over the years um, uh, take, so us, anyway. take us through sunday and then give us a, a broad you know promoter's recap of uh, of the event as a whole so Sunday, um, again, we started out with a little bit of rain. We got about an hour late on our start. Um, got things rocking and rolling and clicking along. Had uh, 273 entries on Sunday. Good Sunday crowd. And we're starting to dwindle things down. And that's where we get down to six cars. Nick's got both of his entries in. He paired himself on the ladder, so he had to eliminate one. And then... Uh, Joe Bob Foley and Ryan Butler were the other two late round finishers. And I told you the scenario where Nick get, got himself a buy run at three. So Joe Bob and, and Ryan Butler have to run at three and Ryan turns at three thou red. So Joe Foley, Nick Hastings wrapping up the weekend, you know, as much as everybody loves Nick, I don't think anybody wanted to see him run amok on the event and just win everything. So I think Joe Bob was the sentimental favorite there just because he's such a good dude and a, a very well-liked guy and the underdog. I mean, let's just call it what it is. So they come around, they pull up in the lanes for the final and about probably a minute before they rolled into the lanes, it starts sprinkling and it's a, it's a pretty decent little sprinkle. You know, it's one of those where you can't go down the track in it. And we're, we're in the staging lanes and those guys are sitting there talking and Joe's like, I don't want to go down on this. And so, well, the no worries because we wouldn't let you anyway. So just, you know, it's just a real light sprinkle. The radar doesn't show anything. It shows it ending in a couple of minutes. So let's just hang out here and see, and, and we'll try to get this thing in here in a few minutes. Well, Joe proposes uh, a potential split and quit with Nick uh, and Joe is proposing a deal that allows him to get the big check because he just, you know, that's, he said, I just, I've always wanted one from this event and uh, I just, I, I will do this to get it. And Nick's like, okay, you know, it's, we, we can talk about that. So they're chatting and they're trying to come up with something. And basically the track gets ready in all this discussion. You know, that they're out there blow drying it and getting it all ready. And the track is ready to go. And Jack's saying, hey, the, Jared, the track's ready. I mean, we're, we're going to do this or, and, you know, and I don't want them to split and quit. Like with the dried racetrack and, and the sun up on Sunday, 
that's the last thing I want. I want him to race. And Joe just wanted that big check so bad. So finally, they they talk this and that, and it's time to to poop or get off the pot. And uh, they they decide, all right, let's just go race. And they this is here's how we're going to do the money. And it was it was in the winner's favor. You know, it was a it was a significant winner's advantage to to get that win light. And uh, they go out there, and Joe's been dialed like a six fourteen all day. Nick's been like a six sixteen, six seventeen. Well, Nick dials six seventeen. Joe dials six eleven. So everybody there feels like they know his strategy. You know, he's gonna gonna let Nick start reeling him in just a little bit, and then he's gonna get on the horn. And he leaves. Nick leaves. Joe leaves. Um, I think 007, Nick was 20. And sure enough, his strategy played out perfect. Nick reeled him in a little bit. He hosed him to go dead three. Nick, you know, and again, the greatness of Nick just, he, I think he was reeling him in a little bit, then the hose, and he's like, oh crap, I got one option. And he stops. He catches every bit of that whole thing, like, what just happened here? I got to stop. He stops to go four above, but Joe lights lights it win like ten pack, and earned that check that he wanted so bad, and he earned it against the greatest we'll ever see. That has to be the sweetest big check in the history of Joe Foley's racing career, maybe the the sweetest one he'll ever get. But that was a very cool moment to wrap us up. Again, Joe, great winter circle. Uh, interview uh, we we knocked that out of the park 100% on those talked about his father uh, in the lanes for Q5 when he come off the track after his win light and he FaceTimed Doug Sr. in the in the staging lanes How at cool the big go okay. yeah at the big go sitting in his car you know like it was just it was awesome is Really cool deal. Cool interview. Nick, a very humble um, runner-up again. Great interview. Very uh, complimentary of Joe and, and his strategy and just the, the person that he is. Typical Nick. So really cool Sunday wrap-up. And to recap the entire event, Luke, uh, it, was, it was as good as we could have hoped for. We were down 25 entries from 2021. But in, you know, these times with everything going on and a thousand dollar entry fee for a foot brake racer, that's a, that's not easy to come by. So we are very fortunate to have the crowd that we had tremendous sponsorship to where we uh, were able to do round prizes for seven rounds. We, you know, we had the pro one winner's jacket certificate that we're able to give Nick uh, that I handed him the next day and did a little interview we had uh, wonderful digital uh, coverage. You know, our my my folks that we've got there that take care of that. Paige Hamlin, Jessica Spears, Cade Caulfield, uh, Dylan Stites helped. Um, we we just had a tremendous amount of um, exposure for our event, for our sponsors, and uh, our racers got a lot of product in their hand from some awesome sponsors that were were so helpful uh we had all of the winners 
that we had planned to get. We got all five of them. We worked in a little two-round challenge to keep the track hot during Saturday's main event where we had, uh, I think, seven people ended up winning entries to next year's WFC through the two-round challenge. So we kept a little action on the racetracks. We didn't have a bunch of dead time while they talked money and prepared. That worked out perfect. Just all in all, uh, you know, I, I couldn't imagine it being any better and, and so thankful to to everybody that helped us make it happen again this year. It was a it was an incredible team effort and blessed to be involved. Sounds like another tremendous Goldberg Promotions event. Congrats to you. Congrats to Steve. And obviously, congrats to those that uh, that left the mountain with the big checks. Another relatively big event over the weekend. I don't know if you've heard of it. The, the U.S. Nationals. That was going on in Indianapolis. The, the, the marathon that is Indy uh, culminated by the, the atmosphere that is one of a kind. Like the Monday at Indy, I can speak from experience, that is one of the pinnacle moments of our sport. Like one of the coolest stages you could ever drive a race car on. And especially to come out on top, like Indy, it, it, it don't pay much anymore, right? And you could, you could argue that there's not a lot of sense in being there, but 900 plus racers thought otherwise. And Indy is, is it's still Indy. I think the, my favorite story from Indy from the sportsman ranks, we'll go top sportsman first, big Jed, my man, Vince Hoda gets the win in top sportsman. Vince was there to run the Jags all-stars, which we'll get to uh, a little bit as well. That was part of the week long event that is Indy, but Vince had heartbreak in the all-stars. I honestly don't know exactly what happened, but he was unable to make the call for first round, the all-stars, whatever that problem was. They got it rectified. He was able to get back into the next round of the, the main event, the big go, and then drive his Camaro to the top sportsman victory. And with that win, as a little bit of icing on the cake, all of a sudden, Big Jed, that top sportsman title chase is a three-way race. We talked about Don Mazir all season. We talked about Lance Abbott and the heater that he's been on, particularly in the summer months. Vince Hoda had been kind of lurking in the wings. This win puts him up there where he is very much on par with those three guys. And I, I was trying to look at it this morning. Like I think Abbott and, and Hoda have a slight advantage on paper. The issue being Mazir's already been to the races for the most part. He's got a few left and both Hoda and Lance Abbott need to make national events. And there's not too many national events remaining for top sportsmen. Keep in mind, it doesn't race at every NHRA national event. I believe remaining top sportsman races include Redding, Charlotte, Dallas, Pomona. Each of those two guys need to claim three more national events. So if they're going to make a run at this, they got to hit the road. But uh, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for one Vince Hoda to hit the road as he is clutching that U.S. Nationals Wally. Yeah, I would think uh, that certainly makes the decision to to fuel up and load up much much easier. Um, you just won the U.S. Nationals, and uh, and obviously, I don't I have no idea what happened, Luke, because I was obviously uh, very engaged in what I had going on in Bristol, so I didn't get to watch much, if any, of the uh, the big go. But to have that kind of heartbreak, something you fight for all year, the All Stars is what as important to those racers as the big go is itself. The all-stars is a huge 
deal it's very important you're you're not only racing for yourself you're racing for the division that you represent so it's a little bit of extra incentive for you to go out and do well and for Vince to have that happen to him whatever it was had to be heartbreaking and to overcome that and then get the big go trophy against what you know is the best competition end to end that you will face all year and probably the highest number of competitors that you'll face all year in an event. And to come out on top of that after that type of uh, devastating issue in the All-Stars, just that's a, that's a wonderful story in itself. And um, hopefully that uh, propels Vince forward to, to make a serious run at this title and, and go after those other guys because that in itself, again, would be uh, an addendum to an already great story. Hard not to root for Vince if you know Vince, you like Vince, but if you don't know Vince, it's hard not to root for Vince simply because this came to light over the weekend. I'd seen this before, but I don't think anyone had. Vince Hoda, I, I think it's hands down, best fire suit in the business. Did you see this? Did not. My man puts on a tux to get in his top sportsman ride and go 660 something at 200 plus. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's freaking awesome. It's fantastic. You got to check that out. If you haven't, um, another man with a, with a great fire suit. Remember the, the Dale Earnhardt replica that Austin Williams donned a year, year and a half ago. Yes. All right. Maybe there's something in the, in the water. Maybe I need to get a, a, a cool fire suit, right? Red hot. Austin Williams goes back to back his last two national events. He has two super comp wallies. We sung his praises for winning at Topeka. Like he seemingly does every year. He gets the super comp win again at Indy. Uh, keep in mind too, it was at the Topeka double divisional. So that's probably three races ago for Austin that he debuted his new Miller race car, super comp dragster. It appears to be a good one. I think he drove to the semis at that divisional event, then won the national, then won Indy. So the new car seems to be agreeing with him. It's Austin's second win at the big go. I think we probably all remember his first. It would be hard to top it. It was that epic heads up stock eliminator final opposite Matt Antrobius in 2019 that Austin won with a perfect reaction time on a, on a heads up run where he was probably outrun. Uh, needed the reaction time advantage, turns it perfect. Um, so hard to top that one, but to get multiple indie wins, that's a pretty short list of people that have done it, particularly in multiple classes. Uh, Austin joins that elite group with this year's win. And as a result of that, you would think like back-to-back -back Super Comp wins for Austin Williams, like he's got to be a title favorite, especially in a year where Super Comp is wide open. Um, and he might, like Austin had an abysmal divisional score and he's out of division races. I think he claimed three second round losses. That's not a recipe for success. If he were to win a third national event, like it would put him at 591, which is not typically a score that would win the Super Comp World Championship, but it sure looks like the way this is shaken down, like the first to 600 wins, like Super Comp is wide open. If Austin could get another national event win, it actually might work out. But I think right now that's the furthest thing from his mind. What's at the top of mind is another U.S. Nationals victory. Yeah, I mean, great to be a dub. This this guy, he's a he's a cool dude. He's a, he's a resource for us. Just his racing history knowledge and his ability to research results and gives us some information that we can use on the show. Um, and I hell of a racer i mean he really is you think he wins stock he wins super comp he wins super gas he just 
got all the tools, Luke. Um, easy, easy guy to like and love seeing him do well because he, you know, he puts his heart and soul in it. So really happy for Austin. That's a that's a huge win to get at the big go. And when you've done it now multiple times in multiple classes, that puts you in a very elite group, uh, a, a relatively small group in terms of, of racer accomplishment. So happy for A-Dub. That's awesome deal. And I love to hear you say first to 600 wins and that his ceiling of 591 is is does have a chance because that just shows an amount of parity in that class that is unparalleled. Um, there's tremendous talent, great equipment, and so many racers that can impact the results all the way to the finish. That's the that's the kind of points championship that you want to see play out. So really, uh, really excited to see how this works out here in the next uh, couple of months. And don't misconstrue this because Austin is a, is a unbelievable talent, right? But as I mentioned at Topeka, I feel like he's got a unique skill set that really shows itself at, you know, what I was talking about after Topeka was how difficult it is to dial there. And, and I mean, at Topeka, Topeka is unique. Like it can be difficult to dial if you made a run an hour ago. Well, Indy is very much that maybe even on steroids, just because like the way that Indy played out for, for Supercomp this season, um, they got three time trials on Wednesday. They ran first round Thursday morning. They're in second round Friday morning. They're in third round Saturday morning. They're in fourth round. At some point Sunday, there was some rain. Uh, I think fifth round was at some point Sunday. Now, fifth round was Monday morning. Sixth round was Monday after the pros. It, it, like you lay it down any way you want. There's basically five or six first rounds, right? And there are certain drivers, um, Austin being, I think, atop the list right now, that if you don't really know what you can run, and, and in those instances, nobody really knows. Like you don't stage up with a ton of confidence, like dialing to the thousandth when you haven't been down the racetrack in 24 hours, right? When you don't really know what you can go, I don't think there's anybody better than Austin Williams, just in terms of creativity, thinking on the fly, trusting his instincts, like that type of race. It's easy to say in retrospect, but that is a very unique skill set that not many possess. And that type of event, of event really lends itself to what I think Austin does best. Very well said, Luke. Uh, I ran Austin, and this is nothing in comparison to the big go, but I ran Austin at the guaranteed million last year. And I don't know if you remember the the weather swing that we had. And Austin and I are, are up against one another with neither of us really knowing what we could run, but we knew it was going to be faster than we had been all weekend. And I hated my position. And, and I That's was, a bad draw. <laughs> I was daylighting him a little bit at that. So I'm like this, you know, this can't, this is supposed to feel good, but it doesn't cause that this, this doesn't mean good things for me. And I go down there and stop and, and he stayed so disciplined to his plan and trusted what he thought he could go. And he did an extremely good job and, and beat me. I was under. And, and he was, again, his discipline and his confidence was evident when, the, when his wind light come on. And, uh, and that's the kind of guy he is in every class and every car. So very well said that uh, that dude has, uh, has the ability to, to do a lot of great things in the sport 
And anytime you're unsure of where you are and he's in the other lane, chances are his wind light's coming on. Yeah, one of uh, one of Austin's close friends, Bo Butner, joined him in the winner's circle. Bo, pro stock Bo, former million dollar race winner Bo, spring fling million winner Bo, adds another notch to his belt with the super gas title at the big go. He actually comes one win light short of duplicating Austin's recent feat. If you remember, Bo was the super gas runner up at Topeka where Austin won. So Bo nearly went back to back at those same two events in super gas. Uh, Bo did get away with a, a subpar reaction time in the semifinals, but his other six rounds were stellar. Uh, no worse than 17 on the tree if you throw out the one miss in the semis with four of those six rounds, including the final being double O on the tree. Bo Butner winning Supergas was uh, no, it was not happenstance. He, he absolutely earned that win from pole to pole. Yeah, Bo, obviously one of those generational talents that can get in a pro stock car, be competitive, and then jump back into sportsman ranks and even do it at the same event and and be competitive he's just a cool calm customer um i see that you know he got away with the the 043 and the semis but you know you got to have some luck no matter what class you're running and obviously he got a little bit there but he's a he's a talented guy that has the ability to to beat you going 210 or 215 and he has the ability to beat you in something with a throttle stop on it too. Uh, in the next round, he's uh, he's really a, a super talented racer and another one of those guys that's just so likable. Uh, Bo's a really likable guy, so always great to see him do well. Bo's one, and the next racer we'll talk about, I think, checks this box too. Like I don't, I don't think we give Bo enough credit, and I think it's easy to. Uh, to, to look at it from the outside and go, oh, he's, he's got the best of everything, right? Resources are, are, are not an issue. So whatever class that he wants to run, like he's got great equipment, but take, don't let that take away from the fact that this dude gets in seemingly anything and drives it really well. I mean, you mentioned pro stock. He's a former competition eliminator world champion. He's won the spring fling million, just won super gas. He's done it in super stock stock. Like there's nothing on a racetrack that this dude hasn't done and done at a really high level. And usually we put people like that on a pedestal and I don't feel like Bo gets talked about in that way. Perhaps he should. Yeah, Luke, he should. Absolutely. And, and I'm probably as guilty as anyone for not really just listing him as, as one of the elite when you start talking about him. But, you know, had he put all his eggs in one basket over the years, that basket probably runneth over at this point, uh, but he's really spread himself out into a lot of different types of racing and race cars uh, and done well in every bit of it. So you have to see somebody that, that has accomplished what he's accomplished in so many different types of cars and classes and say, that's elite if there ever was elite. No doubt. And the, the super stock winner is, a, is another one. Like we talk about Pete Dagnolo a lot. I think, he every time that I watch Pete do what he does, I think that he is criminally underrated. Like that dude is really, really special. And that was on display here. He gets his first U.S. Nationals victory in Superstock. Uh, it's his second national event win in Superstock this season, and just put together an unbelievable box score. Like it, it was kind of Hastings like. Like there was never a double O. There was never a, a, a flirting with red. But there was never a miss. He was 30 in the semis. If you throw that out every time he staged, he's between 11 and 20 in Superstock off the bottom at a race that is spread out over six days of competition. Like that, that gets lost when you are looking at the box score from Indy because you just 
get to see seven runs in progression. There is nothing progressive about the seven runs at Indy, right? Like it's from Thursday at 8 a.m. To, to Saturday at almost midnight, right? Just with minimally 12 to 24 hours between runs, like there is no rhythm to it. There is no, you've got to have amazing trust in yourself and confidence to be able to execute at any level as much as those rounds are spread out and to put it off the bottom in as tight a window as Pete Dagnolo did over the course of the week. I just, I can't emphasize enough how impressive that is to watch. Yeah, you're right, Luke. It's another racer that we, we just don't seem to talk about enough. I know when we get the opportunity to talk about him, that we talk well, and that's typically because he's won something special, you know, whether it was a big bracket race or a class race of some kind. But this is a guy that has a very, very unique talent and the ability to to do several different types of racing. And he's always so impressive. I think I saw on Facebook, I think it was Mike Shabarek. I think it was Shabs posted somewhere this weekend uh, before the event started, maybe um, midweek last week, that he would take the Agnolo against the field for, I don't know. I don't know how betting lines work. It was like plus 105 or something. And, you know. Shabs, any, the soothsayer. Yeah, anybody, anybody that wanted to bet him. He would basically bet anyone that wanted to bet him. And I'm sure it's not ridiculous amounts of money, but he probably had a limit on that. But basically that was his confidence in Pete. And I looked at that post and i'm like yeah that's pretty bold that's, that's a lot of great racers especially you know when all stars are there and it's the big go so no doubt no no doubt about how talented pete is but that was pretty bold and look at the results he gets it done uh in a in a monumental challenge super stock at the big go is a huge huge challenge that's a full field of cars and they're fast and they're talented, and the all-stars are there, so the baddest cat's around. And, of course, Pete Diagnolo comes out on top with the super stock Wally. That's uh, that was great to see and really just a testament to his talent and ability once again. Brett Candies leaves the big go with the stock eliminator Wally. Got the win over Jim Marshall in the final round. The Candies family did their best Emmons impression. It was almost an all Candies stock eliminator final at the big go. Brett Candies defeats PB Candies in the semis. So that was special. Rusty Bagster defeats Dane Ward for the top dragster victory. For Rusty, that is his second U.S. Nationals top dragster victory. And keep in mind here, Top Dragster has only been contested four times at Indy. They didn't start that until 2019. Rusty Baxter won the first one. Now he's won the most recent. So he's batting 500 at Indy. By the way, he's won two national events ever. They both just happened to be the biggest national event on the schedule. Big Jed trivia time. Top Dragster has been contested four times at the U.S. Nationals. Rusty Baxter has won two. Who were the other two winners? (laughs) Oh, man. That's there's zero chance that I'm going to get this. They're, they're, they're gettable. One is relatively obvious. Like I, I think you could get one. Well, I was going to say Anthony Bertozzi. Is he one? Good guess. Peter Biondo actually drove Anthony's car to a runner up finish to the aforementioned Rusty Baxter in 2019, but Anthony has yet to win the big go. 
And so I don't know the top dragster category that well, but you know, was it Danny Nelson? I mean, yes, very nice. Very did nice. I get it? Did I get yes. Danny? Danny Sweet. Nelson, Wild Willie, top dragster uh, champion in 2020, the 2021 champion is uh, one of several drivers that is very much in contention for this year's world championship. That is Zach Sackman. So Rusty Baxter oh. twice, Danny Nelson, Zach Sackman are your four indie top dragster world or top dragster champions. No, no offense to Zach, but I, I never would have got Zach Sackman and Sackman should be obviously a top 10 name. Uh, no offense to your name, Zach. But um, but I wouldn't have got you could have let me have 200 guesses. I wouldn't have got Zach Sackman. So I'm happy going one for two. Fair enough. Let's move on to competition eliminator where Doug Engels. This is this was a recurring theme. We said Austin Williams won Topeka, won Indy. Bo Butner nearly won Topeka, won Indy. Doug Engels won Topeka. One Indy gets the comp win over Frank Aragona. Aragona's runner-up is uh, the latest in a string of runner-ups this season. We talked about Frankie when he won, I think it was at ATCO a few weeks back on the divisional scene after eh, three or four runner-ups this season. This is another runner-up. And honestly, this one, given the the swing, because this was a six-round race, given the 21-point swing, this runner-up probably prevents Frank from being a legitimate title contender. If he wins this race, I think we're talking about Frank Aragona. Like, hey, Frankie's coming. He's got a shot. The runner-up, I think, puts him a little bit too far behind to really make a run. And we talked about this. Like, We'll get deeper into... The well, I'll nerd out at some point on on Lucas Oil Series points sometime point in the near future because it's getting juicy. But there was a time um, two three months ago where I said, you know, Greg Campaign's leading, but that that score is not going to hold up. I'm not so sure that Greg Campaign isn't going to hold on, and that's a guy that has been doing this at a high level for a long time. Never won a championship. I know just talking with some friends of his, like that is the the thing on the bucket list that's driving him, keeping him competing. This might be the year. I don't want to jinx him, but Camplain has got a score that, again, like wouldn't typically win, but in a in a class that is not known typically for its parody, there's been a lot of parody in competition eliminator this year. And I looking at it, I'm not so sure that anybody's going to catch Greg Camplain. He may hold on. Like I say, we'll dig deeper into the title races soon. I think. We've been saying for months, Big Jed, that Greg Stanfield is 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 your Superstock World Championship champion. That's going to be number six. I called it in February, I believe. Brad Burton's going to win the Stock Championship. That came into question at some point. It's looking more inevitable today. Um, and I, we talked about the the trifecta that I think is going to compete for the Top Sportsman Championship. Beyond that. Um, it's really late in the season for it to be as wide open as it is uh, in the remaining classes. I have zero idea, no clue who's going to win Super Comp. Like it could be, you could list off 40 names. I could look at point sheet and go, yeah, they, they got a shot. Top tracks are similar, like top tracks are wide open. Um, so it's going to be fun to, to keep up with that as we go along. No telling what's going to happen, but we'll, I'm sure, dedicate a show within the next month to, to that topic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what we want to see luke we definitely want to see these um these uh, championships undetermined for as long as they possibly can because how else would you nerd out and and cover the results so um, this is setting up perfect for your uh nerdism 
Perfect. I like nerdism. That's getting a shout. Oh yeah. That's yeah. gotta have a shout. Good stuff. One class that we didn't touch on from Indy. I think the only sportsman class that we hadn't discussed, uh, super street, the 1090 ride, Doug Wood gets the super street win in what I think was the best final round of the event. Big Jed, how would you like to be Ryan Locke? Young Ryan Locke from Indiana, by the way, has had a stellar season, was in the Jags All-Stars, rolls into Indy, home event. It's the big go. First national event final on the biggest stage you could have, right? Home, huge race, and you go 13, 1090 with a six, 19 total in the final of Super Street at the biggest race on the planet. I would That's his ass. <laughs> I would take that 100 times out of 100. Ryan Locke's win light did not come up. Oh. How about your 13? You have a 3,000th advantage on the starting line, Big Jed, and you go 90 with a six. I'd take that 100 yes. times out of 100. Yes. Doug Wood gets under it, 16 on the tree, 90 with a one, 17 total to get the win by two thousandths of a second. Congratulations to Doug Wood. That is his second national event victory. Obviously, his first at the Big Go. And this is a bit of reckless speculation on my part, Big Jed. It possibly, maybe presumably, the last Super Street at Indy for a while. Um, we'll get into the the this next. It is a uh, an assumption, or maybe a maybe this has even been officially announced that the Jags All Stars will not return to Indy in 2023. Um, so, with that said, I, there is some doubt. Uh, as to whether or not Super Street returns to Indy, because I believe that that was only added to the schedule um, once the All-Stars were there, because it's not really fair to ask eight Super Street racers to travel the country to come to Indy and not get to race in the Big Go. Not sure that the Big Go includes Super Street. I think it should. Let me be clear on that. Not sure that it will without the Jags All-Stars being there, which again, just makes Doug Woods trophy that much more special if indeed that is the case. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a there's a lot of special in that. Your your opponent lays you down 19 total, and you get in on it and get the the trophy again with the most talented field you will face all year long, the largest field you'll face all year long, and all of that weight and wonder and worry, all those W's, and you turn it into the best W of all, and possibly the last one there for the foreseeable future or beyond yeah pretty perfect for for doug wood right there um, just huge huge blow for ryan Locke. that that one's probably still getting sad put on it because that that one's burning but uh you know what can you do you, you make a great run it comes up short it is what it is and uh, doug wood gotta be loving life right now so good for you doug no doubt. We mentioned the uh, the conclusion, or at least the assumption, that the uh, the Jags All Stars will not be returning to Indy. I don't know if that's been officially announced, but the reason that it is assumed, uh, big news, in that NHRA released their 2023 national event schedule. I think the biggest news from that was one that we had reported uh, a month or so ago that the season actually won't start in Pomona for the first time, shoot, in, in my lifetime, right? The, the first NHRA national event on the calendar is at Gainesville before everyone heads west uh, for Phoenix, Pomona, Vegas. Also, I think the other notable addition to the schedule is that NHRA returns to Joliet 
next season. Uh, back to Chicago, Big Jed, and, and it is assumed, if it hasn't been announced, that the Jags All-Stars will also uh, return to Joliet, which I'm a fan of. I'll get more into as we as we cover this year's All-Stars, but kind of continues the the positive vibes that we rolled out on, on our last episode um, of, you know, you hear all the news of, of racetracks shutting the doors and, and turning into things other than racetracks. Here's one that was we had basically left for dead. I think all of us assumed that we would not return to Route 66 Raceway for any type of race, much less an NHRA national event. Uh, I know that they hosted the divisional event earlier this season. It didn't go particularly well weather-wise. That, that race actually had to be finished at, at Bowling Green, but I know everyone that was in, atten- in attendance just said it was great to be back at Route 66 Raceway. And uh, at, even at that time, there was no clear path for what that meant for the future. Uh, obviously, now we know that uh, that that was means to an end, and that end is getting that racetrack back um, to the level that we've all enjoyed and, and getting a national event specifically back at Route 66. Great news for NHRA. I think it's great news for uh, the Midwest, great news for racing in general. Yeah, certainly, Luke, um, you know, uh, definitely along the, the good positive vibes line that we had on the last show and love hearing the reports of a, of a facility or an event, a specific special event at a facility being resurrected. So this is wonderful news. And, you know, I, I've never raced All-Stars. And I've never raced the Big Go. But I would think that that's a really good move for the all-stars to get back to Joliet. I think it's easy for the all-stars to get overshadowed at the big go. And that is a major, major accomplishment for these racers that attend the divisionals and put their heart and soul into competing for the all-stars opportunity. And for them to get to go back to Joliet and be the show and get their red carpet treatment and, and it get back to some level of normalcy where you don't have to have a week off of work and all of those things. I think that's a super move and a very positive move for the Jags All-Stars and the, the Joliet facility to be reunited. And, and hopefully that can continue for quite some time. Hopefully this isn't a short-lived deal. I am 100% with you. And I, and I talked about this after the the first All-Stars at Indy, and I feel like I was in the minority at that time. Maybe still am. Um, but to, to your point, <laughs> I I wasn't ever a fan of, let, let me take that back. When they first announced, hey, Jegs All-Star is going to be part of the U.S. Nationals, I thought, oh, awesome. Like, how could it get any better than that? You're going to take the coolest sportsman event and put it on the biggest stage. This is going to be great. That's what we all thought. And then I, I watched it in year one and I watched, you know, the All-Stars win on Saturday. And by the time that they handed the big go wallies out on Monday, I'd forgotten all about it. Like I, I didn't know who, I couldn't even remember who won. Like it didn't, it resonated in the moment, but that race that the Jags All-Stars, like it deserves more than a moment. It deserves to be the, the pinnacle event of the weekend. And that's what it always was at Joliet. At Indy, there's so much going on and there's so much electricity in the air and there's so much emotion tied to everything. I think it's hard not for the All-Stars to get lost in the shuffle. And the guys and gals that qualify for that, they deserve more than that, right? And and this year was probably even worse 
um, just because of, I don't think this was necessarily anything directly within NHRA's control. There was the weather issue Saturday. It ended up pushing the all-stars finals back to almost 11 o'clock at night. There's no fans in the stands. There's no fanfare about it. I was actually, I was doing prep for this show, Big Jed. I had a hard time finding the the story. Like I could find the results on Drag Race Central, but I'm scouring everywhere. I can't find anything about the All-Stars. And, and I go three pages back on NHRA.com and find Kevin McKenna's write-up, our good friend Kevin McKenna. That's the only thing that I can find on it. And probably rightfully so, by the time I look on Monday, it's it's buried behind everything that had happened since then. So to your point, like I'm a huge fan of taking that elsewhere as cool as the idea was for it to be at Indy. I think it's better served being the headliner at some other event. And it always worked really well at Joliet. Yep. I agree. And, and I'm sure that the, the move to the big go was like you said, cool in the moment. And it was cool once, maybe even the second go around, but I would think that is also wearing on the all-stars a little bit. Uh, I think they, they want their stage and their event back and it looks like they're going to get it at least again for the foreseeable future. Let's hope that lasts a while. It's just, it's a lot, you know, I mean, you, the, the emotion of Indy, you know, the, the intensity of Indy, and then you, you combine that with the intensity, the all-stars and just the way that the schedule goes, like I mentioned the, the super classes earlier and how, how spread out that schedule is. Well, the thing you could qualify for the all-stars, which is contested, the first round of which is Saturday morning. If you lose first round of the big go, that's Thursday morning. And then you sit around for 48 hours to try to make another hit at the, at the all-stars. Like it's just, it's a tough ask all the way around. All of that said, I think it's going to be better next season. All-stars were contested at Indy champions were crowned big jet. I'll lead with maybe my least favorite part of this. The Northeast division wins the points championship. So we got to hear about that. Of course. Uh, okay. <laughs> credit where credit is due. D1 wins the, the All-Stars Championship for the eighth time. That now ties Division One with Division Two and Division Three for the most team championships in the history of the event. Each of those divisions has that for parity, has eight team titles. Pretty impressive. So kudos, credit where credit is due. Kudos to the Division One team, uh, led by Brandon Miller, who ju- at just 19 years old, not only qualified, to represent Division One in top dragster, but then ran through the field and won the Jags All-Stars in top dragster. And his teammate, uh, Division One top sportsman um, uh, representative, Robert Fortuna, they both win the All-Stars. That's what catapulted D- D1, led the charge uh, to ultimately win the team championship. Other individual winners, David Eaton, one competition eliminator, Mike Crutchfield, Big Jed. All Mike Crutchfield does is win Jags All-Stars. It's the fourth time that Crutchfield has claimed the Jags All-Stars victory in super stock. What division is he in, Luke? Yeah, division two. What state's he from? What where's he from? <laughs> Alabama. Yeah, somewhere down there. I'm Alabama. talking about Crutch. Yep. Do it, son. <laughs> Larry DeForest won stock eliminator. And I don't want to overshadow that. I don't want to bury the lead, but Big Jed, did you happen to see who the runner up in the Jags All-Star stock eliminator was? <laughs> I see it in the notes, Luke. That's freaking awesome. It I mean, was that, our man, big... Derek Elam, in the 16-second Pinto, Big Jed. That, that might be the first time a Pinto's ever runnered up the All-Stars, for sure. 
I think that's probably a safe bet. <laughs> so shouts to Derek Elam. Obviously, congratulations to Larry DeForest getting that stock eliminator win for Division 5. Devin Eisenhower continued his uh, indie dominance. That man knows that facility. He gets the Supercomp All-Stars nod over Jeff Cheney on a one-thousandth of a second double breakout. It was, uh, I guess, to be expected between those two and between any All-Stars. Great race in the final round. The 1,000th coin flip goes Devin Eisenhower's way. He wins his first All-Stars title. Another guy that did not win his first All-Stars title. How about Rusty Cook, Big Jed? Similar to Mike Crutchfield, Rusty Cook earns back-to-back Supergas, Jeg's All-Stars title. He came in as the blocker. He will be the blocker again next year, and that is his third overall Supergas title, buoyed by, or maybe punctuated by, a perfect light in the final round. Rusty Cook is your Supergas, Jeg's All-Stars champion. Yeah, back in the early days of the the drag race, sportsman drag racing podcast. You know, we can say that now because we're we're old timers, Luke. We've been doing know. this a while. Yeah, we've been doing it a long time. And back in the early days, we used to we used to pick who we thought was going to win the championship and stuff in these categories. And I picked Rusty Cook one time to win Super Gas because Rusty Cook's been winning Super Gas since Super Gas was a class. This dude's been doing it a long time. Still doing it well, so great to see Rusty get out there and get his uh, his back to back Super Gas titles, and gets to come back as a blocker and lights it perfect in the final. I mean, life's good for Rusty Cook. My favorite Rusty Cook story, Big Jed. So back years ago, R- Rusty dominated IHRA ninety classes. They're, we called them the Rod classes, and there was a season. And back at this time, I believe IHRA had a number of what they called divisional events. They actually called them WCS events, if memory serves. And you had to go to all of them. Like there were 16 of them or something. You had, you had to go at, you crisscross the country. You had to go to all of them to contend for a championship plus run national events. Like it was basically a full-time deal. And the calendar turned to July. And I, I don't think it's fair to say Rusty Cook hadn't lost a round in Super Rod, which was the 990 class, but he had won almost every event right? Like maybe there had been nine races and I don't think it's hyperbole to say Rusty had won six or seven of them, just dominant. And we're at some race and Mike Fuquay is honestly like not trying to be funny about it. Begging Rusty, he's like, dude, it's over. Nobody can catch you in super gas. Now keep in mind that only half the races are done. And Mike's done the math and he's like, look, you could not enter another one and you will win the championship. No one's going to catch you. So slow the car down and run hot rod, run 1090 the rest of the season. Because if you do what you've done, you're going to win the championship in that too. Like it was just begging him to switch classes mid-season just to show him like, <laughs> I only need to go to half of them and I can win not one, but two classes. <laughs> now, that would have been really cool if he had done that and it would not have surprised me a bit. He is that talented, but that was pretty cool for Fuquay to even come up with that plan. I was trying to get him out of his class. Maybe so. Maybe so. (laughs) I think, I think Iron Mike at the time was running top drag stream quick route. I don't, I don't think he had, I don't think he had a dog in the fight, but maybe there was something happening behind the scenes there. John Dexter, big Jed made the trip from division seven, all the way to Indianapolis pay off when he got the super street all-stars win. he knocked off the red hot, the man that we've crowned super street world champion. Keith Mayers in the final and similar to Rusty Cook, who was perfect on the tree in the final. John Dexter was perfect on the racetrack lights up 1090 with a zero to claim the Jags all-stars win. 
Yeah, getting by mayors has been quite a difficult task for anybody uh, of late. And uh, John Dexter out there with the pressure of the world, the weight of the world on his shoulders, all the way from Division 7. So where a lot of guys had to take a week off to be at Indy, he had to take two weeks off to be at Indy because of his trip. And he makes it pay off with, uh, with the perfect 10.90 against arguably the hottest super street racer in the country. Great deal for John Dexter. That's uh, that's pretty darn cool right there. So big Jed, we talked about the, the biggest foot break race really of the season, certainly of the weekend that you hosted in Bristol. Obviously the big go has a life of its own. There was something for the top ballers this weekend as well. Norwalk's 40 grand nationals, which I, I've not attended in years. I attended it back years ago when it was the, the 10 grand nationals, but on paper, big Jed, this is an amazing race. Like the main event, 40 grand to win 20 grand to runner up paybacks. Unbelievable. Uh, I think they had 425 entries. I believe it was sold out, had some weather issues as just about every event throughout the Midwest did over the weekend. But uh, the main results from Norwalk day one, 20 grander JP Schuster got the win over a red hot David Davis. Davis been in multiple finals recently. Saturday's $40,000 to win main event saw Will Billy, Will Holloman get the, uh, get the victory. Uh, for $40,000 Sunday, I believe rained out completely. I don't have much else from Norwalk. Do you have any other notes from there? I know you were, you were shuttered in Bristol. So. Yeah, I did not hear any news out of Norwalk. Be honest with you, Luke. Um, I didn't even know that Sunday rained out until I saw the show notes. So no, no news, uh, for me on that event. I will close with a little update from the IHRA. And I almost nailed it, Big Jed. Did you catch this? We said it was going to be the, the WWHRA or WW, the worldwide. Yeah. All right. Well, we got close. It is the WDRA, the World Drag Racing Alliance. And they've made, some, made a splash. This is essentially the, the group that had headed up IHRA in the past that kind of disbanded, that went through a couple of different iterations and is, and is now working to compete with Larry Jeffers and the new IHRA for the, the, the rights to the racetracks that had always run under the IHRA sanctioning banner, right? This, the WDRA is founded by Don Scott, who's actually someone that I hadn't been familiar with prior to this. He's actually a track operator of Central Illinois Dragway, which yes, is in the state that I reside in, but pretty good ways away from us. Um, I don't think that Don Scott's name being attached to this is necessarily the story, but every other name that is attached to the WDRA gets your attention, right? Uh, they, they sent out a, a press release. I actually saw the letter um, last week that was, that was sent to racetracks. They've made a, a formal release since saying that Scott Gardner is playing a consulting role for the WDRA. If you're not familiar with Scott, he was at the head of IHRA a few short years ago. Prior to that, had great success managing Cordova Dragway up in Cordova, Illinois. In addition to Scott Gardner, the WDRA has announced a, a track advisory council that includes some names that I think we're all familiar with that we've all probably associated with the success of IHRA in the past, although they weren't directly always affiliated with IHRA. I think Royce Miller was at one time. Royce Miller uh, of Moroso five-day fame, longtime operator of Maryland International Raceway. He's on the track advisory council, along with Jason Peterson. That's uh, US 131 up in um, Martin, Michigan. Carl Blanton at Mocan Dragway. Jeff Miles, uh, former podcast guest, uh, now owner and manager at Darlington Dragway. So 
those are big names. Like you throw those names out there and, and I think it immediately garners the respect, not only of us as racers, but also I, I think of many of the, the track operators that are kind of in flux. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago where it looks like Larry Jeffers version of IHRA is, was gaining a little bit of traction. And now the, the pieces kind of come together, at least it seems on this WDRA angle. And obviously they're competing for the same racetracks, right? Uh, and, and much of the same business. My sense now, whereas it seemed like the IHRA model was beginning to gain some trust, some traction, it appears to have flipped, at least from the outside, just because of how much influence those names have over that group. And this group appears to be, at least in their, their mission statement, everything that they're putting out, appears to be very focused on sportsmen and bracket programs. So it, the feeling is, or my sense is at least, that they've kind of since the momentum to this point in this fight, if you will, are you, are you kind of getting the same vibes? Yeah, I am Luke, uh, you know, definitely, a, a extremely knowledgeable panel there that they've assembled. Um, and you know, it's not my job to, to shoot holes in this thing, but I guess my first concern is that this organization has named a guy that's consulting and they've named four track owner operators that are the advisory council. These people are going to be uh, immersed in other things in their life. You know, running a facility and owning it is a challenge that that takes a lot of time and energy and focus. And your your job is to make it as good as you can. You know how available how helpful are you going to be as a, as a side gig and a member of a, of a council or panel. So, you know, I, 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 I don't say that to say it can't succeed. It just seems like it could take it a little more time. Things might move just a little, little bit slower than if you had a dedicated team that was on the payroll and that's all they did. So um, this, this format is a little different. But again, with the with the talent and knowledge that that this group possesses, I would expect it to be successful. I would just plan to give it a little bit of time. No, I, I'm I'm with you there. I think that time will tell. I feel like, and again, I don't know the details of, of how all of this works on the back end and, and what is going into the the decision making process of these racetracks. But I feel like the purpose of this right now is to win the press release. And I think WDRA did that. Like, I feel like if you're trying to gain influence over these racetracks and, and track operators that have to, if you're putting them to a decision, like it's either WDRA or IHRA, I think within that industry, there is so much respect for Royce Miller, Jason Peterson, Carl Blanton, Jeff Miles, that regardless of their involvement, the, the depth of their involvement in this, I feel like there is so much respect for those guys. They have so much impact and influence that it's hard for me to envision a lot of these racetracks going elsewhere. Like I, I, I feel like the, the writing is on the wall and that there now you could argue the other side of that too. And, and keep in mind, as I mentioned before, like I'll plead a little bit of ignorance. Like I don't, I don't completely understand the IHRA business model or now the, the WDRA business model. Like I, I, as I said a couple of weeks ago, like I wouldn't have thought that what they're fighting over was worth fighting for, but obviously I'm missing something. Right. So there is a school of thought to say, and, and 
I will speak to, I don't know, Scott Gardner, Royce Miller, Jason Peterson. I, I respect all of them. Like I, 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 I have a tremendous uh, understanding of their accomplishments. I don't really know them personally. Carl Blanton and Jeff Miles, I've been very close with over the years and have tremendous respect for like two guys that really know what they're doing in, in this space. Right. But with that, and I think that's the prevailing thought, you know, uh, within this industry is that, Hey, here's five guys that know what's going on. If you wanted to push back on that, you could say, okay, yeah, those guys are all five successful guys, but they were, they've all been a part in some level, they weren't necessarily the decision makers in IHRA, and they may not necessarily be the decision makers in the WDRA, but they were they were figureheads in an IHRA that, at least from the outside, wasn't particularly successful. Again, maybe I'm I'm looking at that through a a, a jaded lens. Maybe if I'm a, a a track owner, a track operator, I love what. IHRA for the last 10 years has had to offer, right? I'm looking at it from a racer perspective going, I, I don't really know what's there, right? And and so I don't really know like, hey, if we're just going to piggyback on that, like I'm not really sure what that looks like or what that offers. It, it's just, it's interesting to juxtapose because it feels like from the outside that the, the Larry Jeffers IHRA platform is seemingly more rooted in the pro show, the, the bring some of the allure back to IHRA. And he's saying the right things in terms of, you know, sportsman racing is the backbone of the sport, but I don't know, particularly if all of these individuals are, are siding with WDRA, like there's not really precedent for that. Whereas it, at least in their initial statements, WDRA is saying like, look, we are focused on providing everything that that IHRA sportsman racers have become accustomed to. And we're going to continue that. Maybe it's, maybe it's a painting with a broad brush for me to say, like, we're going to continue the status quo. I'm sure there are things that this group wants to do differently that want, they want to do better. Um, but it, it seems like those are the divergent markets that they're, that they're shooting for, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense, Luke. And, you know, there's, there's a ton of questions, as we know, that, that haven't been answered yet and that might not get answered in the, the near future. But, you know, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is you're talking about four guys on this council that, that run successful drag strips. There's a money trail, okay? Let's, I mean, we, what incentivizes these four guys to take on more crap in their life besides money? So there's there's a money trail here. There's obviously some incentive for them and their facilities to host some important events and possibly uh, win or have a financial windfall from it. Um, but Luke, to me, first and foremost, the biggest challenge this group is going to face is the calendar's 12 months long and it is as saturated as it can possibly be. Where are your opportunities going to come from? How are you going to have events that people put on their schedule in place of somewhere else they were going to go? Because that's how it's going to have to work. They're going to have to replace events for racers. They're going to have to say, the racers got to say, well, I always go here, but now I'm going to go here. And you're talking about MIR, you're talking about US 131, uh, MOCAN, 
Jeff Miles is the only one that has the longest calendar available to him in Darlington. The rest of those guys, the calendars shortened even more so than normal. So to me, it's going to be a monumental challenge for them to find dates and opportunities to have events. And I'm not trying to make life harder on them. We all know that, that this is going to be a challenge for them. Uh, it is going to be super interesting to see what kind of program they put together and where they fit in the calendar. No, it is. It's interesting to think about because, again, I, I don't, I don't have the insight, and I'm, and I'm talking a little bit out of the side of my mouth because I probably don't have the understanding. But it is my perception, at least, that what the IHRA has been for the last two or three years was a, an organization barely holding on. Like maybe that's more perception than reality. But I think it's very fair to assume that whatever revenue stream was created with IHRA, perhaps it was enough to sustain the IHRA in a, in a bigger way than I realize, but it doesn't feel like it's enough to sustain two organizations and two payrolls. So if I think bottom line, if both yes. of these are to succeed, then one or both have to think way outside the box, right? And have to, have to de- dive into a market that has basically previously been untapped by IHRA. And the the thought or the um, the challenge of doing that in 2023 in our current economic climate like that seems daunting to me yes it does i mean so you know just the the scenario you laid out there or the the challenges you laid out the challenges i've laid out uh i hope this team addresses all that as a group and comes out prepared. The last thing they can afford to happen is to try to rush it and come out half cocked. Because uh, if it if it doesn't get some legs early, then you know their their challenge becomes almost undoable. Um, so I, it's a bunch of smart guys, way smarter than me, and way more successful than me. So I'm sure they'll they'll come out ready. But uh, I'm hoping. Hopeful that that happens for sure. All right. So in short, we've now dedicated probably three to four hours of this podcast to this. We don't really have any better idea where this is going than we did three months ago, but it's great. I mean, keep the content coming. We we need stuff to talk about. This is good. Yeah, it's real good. Um, and this is all relevant stuff to to our core uh, discussion that we we like to have. So yeah, this is uh, this is all real good stuff. And if anybody out there has some insight. You know, shoot it our way. We uh, we don't mention names and we don't reveal sources, and but we do like a little bit of gossip up in this place. So if you got some information that you can share, you will your name will remain private, but we'll spew that all over the podcast world and let Whether you do what you do with it. Capital J journalism and reckless speculation. We've got we've got a unique combination, Big Jed. We do have that, Luke, but. Our combination has come to an end. That uh, That's going to wrap up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And uh, we appreciate you guys giving us a week off and not giving us a bunch of garbage for it. Y'all were pretty easy on us last week for not having a show. And we hope that uh, you found your way back to us this week in time and, uh, and enjoyed the show start to finish. It was, a, it was a really good discussion about some great moments in our sport and some great events in our sport. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But if you have uh, stuff that you want to talk about, 
relative to what we discussed or stuff that we didn't discuss, there's a place you can go and you can tell us all about it. It's called the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. And you can put it right out there for the public to see, or you can send us a private message and producer Marcus snag that right up and tell Luke and I all about it. And the, the public uh, posts that you guys are making are typically on our show release post. You're, you're commenting on that, which we love. But if you got something that's its own subject, you can just go right there on the Facebook page and post that and get some discussion going yourself about a specific subject. And that might open our eyes to something else we need to talk about. So just visit the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, give us a like for sure. And um, tell us what you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about. We'd love to hear from you. Luke, it's shout time. You had a couple of weeks. We had a week off. It's two weeks now. So I'm sure this list going to be amazing. Shouts to trying one more thing. Shouts to Devin De Deadly Devin Dudley for not giving up. Shouts to welcoming Anthony Blackburn to Alabama, Big Jed. Love that story. Shouts to yeah. Shabs and his faith in Pete Dagnolo. Shouts to Pete Dagnolo for making Shabs look good. Shouts to hard nerdism. To do. Nerd, yeah, it is hard to do. <laughs> that, 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 that deserves a double shout. Way to go, Pete. Um, shouts to nerdism. Shouts to the early days of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, all of 2016, way back in the day. We're throwing it way back. And shouts, Big Jed, to any show that includes references to pooping or getting off the pot, Sackman and Half Cocked, all in the last 90 minutes. <laughs> awesome stuff. Way back in the sportsman drag racing podcast early days <laughs> we used to pick the nhra winners yeah so the show is getting old luke but i love it man what a what a great run we've had and it's been awesome i have a little shout out myself and i don't know if my if my little big man will, will listen to the show he does listen but i don't know if he'll make it this long but i want to shout out jj um, yes. jj made it to the final round of a 15K top bulb race at Montgomery a couple of weeks ago. He did not put the box in the truck until second round. And he got a couple of lucky breaks and then he just got stupid nasty. And only his second time ever to let go of the button. Uh, he is just primarily foot brake race. So I'm super proud of that kid. Now he did go to Bristol this week and got his ass kicked. There's still ass meat in the right lane. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're still uh, they're scraping they're 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 sweeping uh they they got the zamboni i mean jj's ass is all over the right lane okay so he got towed up from the flow up but uh but he did well at montgomery on the top two weeks ago and just really proud of him so just wanted there? to shout him out i <laughs> i was not i was at home um, I had plans that got up. I was, I was getting ready for church that morning. I actually had gotten ready for church, was sitting in my chair and JJ come rumbling downstairs in a t-shirt and shorts. And I was like, uh, bud, uh, you're not going to church. Cause typically we'd discuss that if you're not going with us. And he said, no, uh, Andrew's like wanting to go to Montgomery cause it rained out on Saturday and they combined everything for Sunday. So Andrew's wanting to go down there. And I'm like, but it's 8.30, and they start at 9 with juniors. I don't know how long that'll last. Yeah, yeah, I know. We, we got to figure it out. So 9 o'clock, I'm walking in church. He texts me and said, we're leaving now. 
He didn't make it in time for first round of foot break. So he jumped in. The plan was not to run super pro at all. He jumped in super pro so he could get a time shot for a second round of foot break. <laughs> and I didn't realize the plan. So he, he says that I'm getting in pro because I didn't make foot break. I'm like, that's cool. Just enter both of them and then run second round foot break. So he says, I'm 20 red. And I'm like, crap, did you think you let go too soon? Or did you, you box my, he's like, I was foot breaking. Like, holy crap, what are you doing, son? I mean, <laughs> you think you're Nick Hastings? I mean, my God, you're 16 <laughs> years old and you're down there foot breaking in super pro. So he goes back, gets beat second round of foot break. Says he bought back into pro. Of course, he's got my open check. So he's running that tab, that tab getting strong <laughs> for a day. And uh, he says, um, he says, I'm in, I'm buying back in pro. I said, put the box in. I don't care what the results are. You're, you've got to take your best shot. So he put the box in, made it all the way to the final turn at three thousand red. Just really proud of him. He, he did a heck of a job. And, what a uh, story. As much as I was rooting for JJ, I'm kind of glad to hear that he didn't win because I want you to be there. Oh God, Luke, I was, I was sick and happy and I had it all going on. I, you know, it was live on FaceTime with my nephew watching the final round when his wind light come on. I, I didn't know if there was a little bit of relief there or if I was upset. I just, it was, it was a really difficult moment and I definitely want to be there for his first win and, and the big cars. And uh, hopefully now I will, I will make it when that happens, but You're I just want to shout him out. Yeah, yeah, now we just we got to travel and do it all. So just want to shout him out. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, all right, folks. And uh, if you like to tweet to end things, um, Luke and I are on the Twitter. Please uh, add us, tag us, bag us, whatever you do there on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you early and often reach out to us. That wraps us up here this week. We appreciate you tuning in this long. And we can't wait to be back real soon and talk to you about more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>